We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. The baseball season is go, go, go. It's nonstop, relentless for every night, six straight months, and then hopefully another month in October. You also have work, friends, family, and a million other things going on. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. I mean, the mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when your beer is cold. Is there anything better than opening up your refrigerator after a long day, seeing that icy cold Coors Light can or bottle in your fridge? The answer is no, there's nothing better. That's why... When it's time to chill, you choose Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So that's why when you want to hit reset, reach for a beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate. We are breaking down all aspects of Yankee baseball. This is the Bronx Pinstripe Show with your host, Andrew Rotondi and Scott Reinen. Let's go. What's going on, everyone? This is the Bronx Pinstripe Show, episode 77. It is Monday morning. I am slowly, and I'm not even sure I'm actually recovering from another bachelor party. Scott, I know it was your birthday yesterday. So we decided to do this Monday morning. I'm I'm in pain, just straight up pain. How about you? This is two weeks in a row that I've made you get up. While while last time you said that it was like the crack of dawn, and maybe this was two weeks ago, crack of dawn, and you were, and it was 10 a.m. This literally was closer to the crack of dawn. This is a 7 a.m. recording, and uh, yeah, I became even more of a crafty veteran yesterday by turning 36 years old. It's insane. I can't believe that that number is actually real. So. Yeah, I'm I'm good. I'm good. You can relate to some of these guys on the Yankees that are in their late 30s, breaking yes. down their backs, their their knees, their oh, necks, yeah. all, all all sorts of injuries. You oh know, no doubt, you, you know their pain. I can't even imagine playing baseball every day and and trying to. I mean, I wake up and my my wrist hurts for some reason. 
I don't okay. know. I don't know why. I have no idea why. <laughs> uh, 70... so happy 36th birthday. Your wrist hurts in the morning. Yes. Yeah, awesome. So, Thanks. okay, let's talk about your birthday. What 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 did you do yesterday to celebrate the big three six? Well, the big three six. I guess after thirty, nothing really happens to me. I don't know. It's just not eventful. So uh, it was it was relatively low key. My wife and I hung out and um, we we did a a lunch. We went out to dinner. We did a you know just just very low key things. And um, I got my favorite my favorite lunch, which was delicious. I had a, a BLT. It's a tuna BLT, which is phenomenal. This place. That I go to has they do these like giant tuna steaks. It's like a huge fat tuna steak, and they put bacon, lettuce, tomato on it with this wasabi sauce. It's so good. Mm, that it's does sound good. Sweet potato fries. Can't beat it. So that's what I have to look forward to when I turn thirty six. Just nice meals. Yeah, just nice meals. <laughs> There's just I mean you don't want to celebrate the birthdays anymore. I don't know. To me, it's just not like it's not. It's just another day. You know. Uh, I guess 40, which is like crazy because I always think of my mother as 40. I, I don't think of me as 40. I have a very difficult time putting myself in like an older age bracket because yeah. I don't feel that way, you know? Yeah. I'm very immature. <laughs> I, I'm turning 28 in a couple weeks and not that 28 is really a big deal. But yeah, at this point in my life, birthdays just are not important. Yeah. 30 will be a big one for you because that's when you become an adult. Oh, oh, is it? Yeah, yeah. That's the, that's exactly. Well, you have no choice at that point. We'll see you about are, that. You are an adult as as deemed by society at thirty. I don't really feel like much of an adult. I just spent the weekend in Atlantic City <laughs> on a bachelor party. I've come to the conclusion that Atlantic City is the single worst place on earth. I don't ever want to go back. You know, you know, I agree with you. I, I know I, I will go back. I will undoubtedly go back, but I hate it. Yeah, I heard MGM just bought. Uh, the what's the big hotel down there the the Borgata the new yeah, one yeah we didn't were one we didn't even make it to the Borgata oh god you went to the rest you were slumming it we went it, to the slums on geez. we just spent the entire two nights on the boardwalk oh that's brutal we rented so the thing is we rented a house uh, we rented an Airbnb because there was nine of us and it was actually a pretty decent house uh, in a but it was in a secluded area it was about a ten minute drive from the boardwalk and the Borgata so we we're kind of in the middle. And we just made the decision to go to the boardwalk each night since there were more options. Right. That's interesting. Yeah, I, when I was there, I mean, I haven't been there in a long time, but the, the boardwalk was uh, was pretty shady at that point. Yeah. I, I, mean, I can't imagine not, it getting much better. It's not exactly – so you don't feel unsafe when you're on no, the boardwalk. No, that's not what I mean. I don't mean – I don't mean – I felt completely safe. I mean, I was – in my when you're – I feel like to, from 25 to 28, you're invincible anyway, so it doesn't – you feel safe. Yeah. Well, you walk two blocks off and you don't feel so safe. Yeah. They, uh, they, I don't know how long ago you were there, but was the giant hotel, the Revel there? It was like a hotel casino. I, I don't remember. It has like, uh, anyway, it, they built it of, I don't know, some number of years ago, not that long ago, but they had the genius idea to make it a family friendly casino. So there's no smoking inside or anything like that. And it immediately went bankrupt. Yeah, family friendly in Atlantic City. <laughs> no one's bringing their their four year old to to Atlantic City. No. Although I do not... see families whenever I'm in Vegas, I do see families, and I just scratch my head like, what the hell are you doing? Well, Vegas is different. You can you can be family oriented if you're in Vegas. You just gotta like, but there's you gotta so have many... some you gotta have some blinders on occasionally. The kids, but there's so many other places you could take your family other than Las Vegas. But the Vegas is like a giant theme park. You know what I mean? Like, there's cool stuff. An adult that... theme park. <laughs> 
Yeah, that's true. But there's also like cool stuff. There's shows, and I don't know. I could see that more than Atlantic City. Atlantic City is just like trash. You want to have you want to have a really really just just jacked up weekend? Go to Atlantic City. Do you want to feel like you need a five hour shower after the weekend? Go to Atlantic City. <laughs> uh, so number seventy seven. Shout out to our guy, Burnt Out Attorney, gave us another great list of stats. Uh, let's do a few of them. We'll, we'll, we'll just run through these quickly. 77, uh, 1977 was the first World Series championship under the boss, and that was the Bronx's burning year. So uh, I don't know if you ever watched that ESPN miniseries, but that I thought that was a very good show, and uh, I actually would like to go back and watch that at some point. Yeah, I've seen it. I want to go back and watch it again. Uh, I feel I feel like as we do this show and as we get more into you know the the nitty gritty of all these teams, I'm becoming more of a historian. Or I feel like a lot of these things are coming back. Um, and that was just before my time. And I was born in '80, so that was just before I was born. Uh, but yeah, it's it's awesome actually to look back at that at that era. I think uh, it's very interesting. They, they've got they definitely got a, a pretty awesome dynamic. It was such a quick rise to success and then a sh- uh, such a quick drop off in in the late 70s there. Yeah. Uh, also, number uh, 77 is the career postseason singles for Bernie Williams. Second all time. I don't know who's first, but I would take a guess it's Derek Jeter. Probably Bernie. I mean, the amount of the amount of games that those guys played in, <laughs> you got to believe that they're all in the full on the top seasons. Of the list. They played full seasons yeah, worth insane. of games in the playoffs. It's, yeah, yep. it is insane. And and the thing the the, the thing that makes me uh, that is most impressive to me is that you know Bernie Williams, Derek Jeter, all of those guys put up as good, if not slightly better, numbers in the postseason as they did in the regular season. Which some people might say, oh, well, is that really being clutch? And to me, that is definitely being clutch because you're facing way better competition. There's so much more pressure. And if you're putting up consistent numbers in the playoffs like you would in a July 14th baseball game, that's clutch in my mind. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you're right. That's that's absolutely where the best competition is. It's the best of that year. You're getting you're getting the best pitching staff. I mean, the a lot of these guys will will shuffle their staff. A lot of these teams will shuffle their staff. You know, to make it as as lethal as possible for a short series. So you're you're definitely getting the the best of the best at that point. So yeah, I, I agree with you. I think it's clutch and impressive, no doubt. Final number seventy seven is the career home run total for Johnny Damon in pinstripes. Uh, quickly on Johnny Damon, would you consider that signing a success for the Yankees? Yeah, I guess it was a success. I I hated him for a long time. It took me a long time to to actually accept Johnny Damon because I don't know. I had some I had some serious hatred for that guy uh, for, for understandably. A while. I mean, he he shoved a dagger through the hearts of all Yankee fans in two thousand four. But yeah. you know why I appreciated Johnny Damon? The dude went out and played. He, he he did. He, he got was a banged gamer. up, and he went out there and played as many games as he possibly could. And you got to tip your hat off to a guy like that because the Yankees look at some of these guys now: Mark Teixeira, Jacoby Ellsbury, Brett Gardner. The the littlest of bruises and nicks will will keep them out of a game. Johnny Damon would run through a wall for the team. Yeah, I mean it's not it's not murder. What? <laughs> That's a Johnny Damon quote when he's talking about Alex Rodriguez. Oh, right, right. I forgot. <laughs> it's not, it's not yeah, murder. It's not, it's not like he murdered somebody. He just did a little steroids. Who cares? Johnny Damon. Yeah, he's. I, I'd say what what got me even more around the corner from him was that how big of like a mimbo he is and like the, just the way he talks. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I really can't hate this guy. He's 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 just you know he's, he's, he's got some, to, he's got some he's just hot. there to play baseball. He's yeah. got some screws loose upstairs. He's just there to play baseball. Yeah. 
No. He doesn't care what team he's on or what uniform. He might not even realize what uniform he's on. Is he even retired at this point? I, I don't know. He's he's definitely making the tour. He's he's around quite a bit. I feel like we I see him. Yeah, he's at Old Timers Day and everything. Because I know he was trying to hang on for three thousand hits. Yeah, yeah. He went to Tampa Bay for a little while. He was he was uh, he was definitely floating around. But I mean, like after post career, I feel like I see his face quite a bit hmm. uh, around Yankees Yankee centric things. So, some news over the weekend, and I saw this on my phone as I was drunk uh, on the Atlantic City boardwalk, but the greatest of all time, Muhammad Ali died. Yeah, that's a, it's a sad day to, you know, we, we all know, obviously, that, uh, that Ali was not doing well for, for an extended period of time, and he's been battling Parkinson's for, honestly, as long as I can remember, and you know, I, I never, I never saw him fight. He was, uh, I mean, obviously, I've seen tape and I've seen, uh, you know, movies and and all sorts of documentaries and things like that. But I never, it was never like I didn't live in that moment. Um, but the, you know, he was so much bigger than a boxer. The the amount of things that he did for uh, civil rights and just kind of talked about social issues and the guy was really larger than life. And I, I always respected that about him. And I always thought he was one of the most interesting people uh, that that ever lived. Can I make a confession? Yeah, go ahead. I thought he was already dead. Are you serious? Yes. I did not know he was alive. Like, oh. if you had asked me the day before he died, is Muhammad Ali dead or alive? I would have said dead. Like, I thought he died when that Will Smith movie came out. Oh, no. That's bad. <laughs> he, was the, he was the... He, he, uh, he no lit clue. the torch at the Olympics. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I'm oblivious to a lot of things. Yes, that's apparent. He... No, he was very nice. He was he was fighting. He was making a public appearances while in a wheelchair, just completely, completely, uh, you know, taken over by Parkinson's. Maybe I mean, that's why been, I didn't know it was Muhammad Ali. <laughs> he put himself out there. I mean, when when most people would 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 not put themselves in the public light, uh, Ali put himself kind of in that spotlight and and just embraced him and said, "Look, this is me and this is how I am." Well, how old was he? I want to say seventy four. I think he was pretty good for a boxer who's probably had dozens and dozens of concussions in his life to make it to that age. Yeah, I mean, he's never been shy about the fact that that he believes that a lot of the you know the things that happened to him with the Parkinson's and, and the brain issues that ha- was because of uh, was a boxing. But but he also embraced the fact that you know boxing got that's him. That's the life he chose. And that's the life he chose. Yeah. So I mean, I, I mean, honestly, I, I mentioned it. I mean, I was kind of you know joking not joking I, I honestly didn't know he was dead I was just you know trying to make you know make a joke there but Ali is in the conversation for greatest athletes of all time and greatest trash talker of all time so I mean it is a pretty big deal that that he has passed away so we definitely have to mention it I definitely think he is the be- the greatest trash talker of all time this guy this guy took everything to another level yeah and it was in, it was in the 60s and early 70s when that sort of thing was you know not that was just not done. It, it was it never been seen before. The trash talking that 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 he did. He kind of started the way the boxers talk. Uh, you know how they how they have their ringside rants. Before yeah, their show. <laughs> it's kind of like it, I'm he sure it also kind of morphed into wrestling at, at, to a certain point. Where I think it's morphed into a lot of things. Yeah. You're seeing you're seeing a lot of you're seeing bat flips. You're seeing a lot of things. <laughs> you're seeing celebrations. And Muhammad Ali was n- never hid from anything. And he was he never hid his opinion. He never hid his antics. He never hid anything. I mean, the guy was uh, extremely flamboyant and out there. And he didn't apologize for it. So you got to appreciate that. So the the, the Yankees. I, I feel like it's just been a slow burn for a few weeks after after they got back to 500. On a six-game win streak. Since then, it has been a slow, slow decline. 
And a couple injuries to note. First of all, Teixeira going on the 15-day DL, torn knee cartilage. And it's not like the Yankees are going to miss his bat at all because he's having the worst season of his career, has not snapped out of it. It is now two-plus months into the season, and he still sucks. So we can't say, oh, it's just a slow start for Teixeira this year. I just think he's he's struggling and he has no signs of snapping out of it. And this this knee issue is not going to help him at all. Well, no, I mean, torn knee cartilage to me sounds like uh, 15 DL going on season ending. Yeah, that, that there's no way I, I don't see him coming back. I, I don't know. I don't know. You know, if he if he tries to if he's going to rehab, obviously, and, and make every effort to come back because he needs to for his own sake. Uh, he needs to prove that he's still a, a major league quality baseball player because right now he's not. He's not even a he's a shell of himself. Um, but, yeah, it's unfortunate to see, you know, what's happened. But, yeah, he's you can't say that we miss him. We missed the potential of his bat, no doubt. But he hasn't done anything all year, all year long. He has not done anything. So. While while it's unfortunate that he is he is injured, it's uh, it's really not affecting the Yankees on the field at all right now. It's not, and his bat was just becoming a drain in the order because Girardi was penciling him into the middle of the order because he is a name, Mark Teixeira. He's going to bat third, fourth, or fifth, and he was hitting like a pitcher. So it was really killing the team. And I thought Mike posed a good question on the website. I believe he posted this yesterday. What is Teixeira's legacy in New York? Because he sort of set the stage with he comes over in 2009 on that big contract, immediately makes a huge impact. Gold glove defense, MVP-type numbers, Yankees win the World Series. And he had a few good seasons. He, I think he was pretty solid through 2012. Every year that he was on the field and producing, the Yankees made the playoffs, including last year. I know he was hurt at the end of the year, but he put up... MVP-type numbers through July, and the Yankees did make the playoffs. So all the years that he's out, the team has really struggled. Not saying that Teixeira is the one key to the Yankees' success, but he does play a big part. But it's either been the highest of highs or the lowest of lows for Teixeira with the Yankees. So, So what do you think his legacy is? Well, like you said, I mean, I think a lot of people... When, when looking back at his career, his Yankee career, will say that 2009, because he came over and helped the Yankees win that, that 27th title, that it was all worth it. Like, everything after that was, you know, just part of the baseball card, but he got that championship. And, you know, while that's absolutely true, I think he was a big help. I mean, obviously, I think he hit, you know, 30, 30 to 40, 39, 40 home runs in 2009, had 120-some RBIs. The guy was, was, a, was a, a monster, and... And yes, the the fact that every season so far that we've done this show, two seasons, but two seasons, you have, and I've agreed with you every time coming into it, is that Mark Teixeira is the X factor of this lineup because because he's a switch hitter, because he hits in the middle of the lineup, because he's got the thump, kind of all things revolve around him and, and maybe the next power guy. Uh, so when he is not going well, the rest of the order, the construction of the lineup isn't effective and it's not to what they need it to be. So... He's a huge part of it, and when we look back at his legacy, I think the one thing we will remember, or the two things we will remember, we will remember 2009, him helping us get a World Series, and we will remember the injuries. I absolutely agree with you that those are the two things that stand out for me, and I think it proves because he was a close to 300 career hitter before he came to the Yankees. I don't know how he was doing that, 
but he just was. If you want to say that there's a lot more shifts now or whatever, so it's taken away base hits from him, fine. But the, the facts are that he is about a 250 to 260 hitter with the Yankees. But it, it didn't matter. Batting average did not matter. When he was hitting home runs, the offense was producing. Right. So for everyone complaining that he wasn't hitting 300 anymore, he wasn't punching singles down the third base line when the shift was on, I didn't want him to do that. I wanted him to hit doubles and home runs. And when he was doing that, the Yankees were scoring runs. And when he isn't doing that, the Yankees weren't scoring runs. So that should just, it's just a little more proof that batting average is kind of a misleading stat, especially for a power hitter like Teixeira. I think, I think that's where you have to... You take you take the the number of the batting average, and that's the the one area where you can look at it as as deceiving when you're talking about a power hitter, because those guys have to drive in runs. If they're driving in the runs, if those RBIs are there, then then you can you know you could justify their existence and their value. Whereas you get a guy who does not hitting the ball out of the park, that's when batting average to me becomes more of a relevant statistic. The guys who are setting up to get to that guy. So. Ackley, Dustin Ackley is also season-ending surgery for him. So the Yankees had a a 48-hour period where they lost both of their first basemen. <laughs> and not that we're complaining about really Teixeira or Ackley because neither guy was hitting. And Ackley, I use quotation marks when I say first baseman because the dude looked lost at first base. But he is out for the season and they ended up calling up Parmalee and Ref Snyder has been playing first base as well. <laughs> the guy that <laughs> the guy that they're not having play first base is Nick Swisher, and uh, we can get into that in a second. But the fact that they move Ref Snyder over there tells me a few things. One, they're finally realizing <laughs> that his bat it does have an impact in in the lineup, and they want to fit it in however they can. And also that you know you know what we have to uh, eventually see what Ref Snyder can give us. Or else we're just going to totally waste this talent who is getting older day by day. It's it's a miracle. It's a minor miracle, and and it's a shame what had to happen for this guy to get some playing time. I mean, literally everybody had to go down in front of him, and and not only not only did they have to go down in front of him, but they weren't there. There was no like vertical path to first base for for Ref Snyder. They had to shift him over and and create him as a first baseman because he's not a first baseman, but. What is he? He's an athlete. How long have we been saying that he's an athlete and can play all over the field? For two freaking years, we've been saying this. <laughs> this guy should have been in the lineup last year as the starting second baseman and sliding the, 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 the bat that shall go unnamed into a utility role. I mean, this is a guy that, that can play pretty much anywhere. So far, I mean, we haven't seen anything bad from, from Ref Snyder at first base. He's been playing pretty well. I mean, he hasn't been, I guess, fully tested, but first ball at him when he was a first, first, first pitch First batter uh, is a is a pretty hard ground ball first base right at him. So you know, welcome welcome to the show at first base, kid. Uh, he gloved it, stepped on first, and recorded the out. So to me, he looks pretty good over there. Hey, if they're gonna put up with Dustin Ackley at first base, they can certainly put up with Ref Snyder because he can't be much worse than than Ackley was. I, I heard Girardi on Francesa last week saying that. You know, Ref Snyder has expressed his desire to play anywhere they want him in the field. He does feel most confident at second base and right field because those are the two positions he has experience with. I don't think they're ever going to play him at third base. I, I, I think that he uh, is a fish out of water at third base. But first base, at least it's on the right side of the diamond. He's used to the ball off the bat on that side. It's just a matter of sort of, sort of learning the mechanics of first base, which I think the guy can do. I think he's capable of that. And... 
And you know what? They even sort of, uh, you know, shifted Castro over to shortstop uh, for a game, that game, that makeup game in Detroit, just to get Ref Snyder's bat in the, in the lineup to put him at second base. So I think that what they're going to do is showcase his bat for the rest of the season, however they can. And you know what? Maybe they have a utility player on their hands. Maybe they get a team to, to, to notice his bat and trade for him in the offseason. But all I know is it's good news that Ref Snyder's bat is getting in the order every day. Absolutely. And you were talking about him on Francesa. Francesa was, was going off on, on the fact that Ref Snyder has zero position. And, and you know, I know that Francesa is very, he's, he's usually very in tune with the way that the, the Yankees front office is feeling. You know, he's got friends in the Yankees organization. He's a Yankee fan, and he, he talks a lot about that. But, but to me, it just, it, you know, this is such a long time coming and so frustrating to see this guy get in the lineup only now because, you know, all they do is talk about his defense and his defense and his defense is not ready. It's not ready. It's not ready. Meanwhile, meanwhile, we have guys like Chase Headley who are, who are you know, he's, he, he has a, his glove is fine, but he's making errors over there. He makes throwing errors. He's not winning games for you. He's not winning games for you defensively, Chase but, Headley. And if they're trying to talk about run prevention, run prevention goes out the window <laughs> when, when you have to, when you have zero people, uh, you know, hitting the ball for average, hit yeah. zero people getting on base. Like, yeah, you, you it, to an extent, like you can't bank on run prevention to, to win you the one, nothing, two, nothing games every night. You have to score runs. And Ref Snyder is a bat that's been sitting there waiting to get in for two years. This guy has been ready to play in the major leagues and his bat has been ready and they have not done it. So finally, now, now that we're almost at a point where we're, we're talking about selling the team and doing all these things because we're, we're just creating a big, a big hole, he's now allowed to get in. And, that, and that's great, fine. I'm, I'm happy he's there. It's just unfortunate how long it took them to open their eyes and see the potential of this guy. It really is frustrating to me. You mentioned that Francesa quote, how he was, he was saying Ref Center has no position and no place on the Yankees. And why do people either love or hate Ref Center? How did he become such a polarizing figure? I don't know because we talked about this last year about how he must have pissed somebody off because he he comes up there there was a rumor uh, it was Francesa actually wasn't it it came from he Francesa. said he said that he, he had he a bad was, attitude he was, yeah bad attitude a little cocky and I think he, Francesa said he, that's w- one of the reasons why he wasn't being he wasn't he didn't stay in the major leagues when he got called up the first time right and th- and that came from somewhere he didn't just make that up so, someone told him that you know there was a little birdie that came to oh, Francesa, yeah. and and Francesa and doesn't make that kind of stuff up so he had so, some source I don't know. Who that source was but uh, but i even think fans fans either say like us who say oh ref snyder can hit i'd like to see him play or they say oh no he sucks defensively he's a waste he you know he's not i'm not hearing very many fans talking about that i think at at this point everybody just wants to see a bat in there maybe it was more last year when the steven drew ref snyder things came up where they were saying ref snyder you think steven drew is bad wait till ref snyder gets in there but i don't know i yeah i'll argue with that person and crush them but the uh the the fact that Ref Snyder is is now playing and didn't have a position. I, look, I don't know why that was happening. I think maybe that his his confidence was 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 misplaced for cockiness at some point. Maybe he wasn't you know behind closed doors. He wasn't uh, you know that confidence was being expressed a little bit differently than what we've seen. All I have seen with all the interviews, everything talked about, everything I've seen from this guy is is a confidence in his ability, the willingness to play anywhere, the willingness to do anything for the team. And and nothing but just you know hustle. Like this guy runs out every ground ball. 
he's he's flying around the diamond. Gives well, him he the, better uh, do that. He's kind a of ball stuff. player. He better do that kind of stuff because while we we are praising his bat, he, he's not a superstar and he's not going to be a superstar. Right. So he needs to play his ass off. He needs to hustle for everything. And and if he can do that, I think he can have a successful major league career. Yeah. And he does. That's 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 what we've seen. We've seen this guy do nothing but positive and things. And wouldn't you rather? I'm not saying you. I'm just talking in general in, in generality. Wouldn't you rather have a guy who came through our system, impacted, you know, play on the team, get a lot of at bats, be the utility guy, than some scrub like Brendan Ryan or Stephen Drew that they signed off the scrap heap? Like, wouldn't you? Isn't that more enjoyable to watch? There's no doubt about it. But that's. I don't think that that's what. Cashman thinks he never thinks that way. Nor does Girardi. I don't think they really care that the, the, a guy is homegrown, and the fact that he's homegrown makes a big difference for the fans. Right? It, I think it numbers. really does. It's just numbers to them. They're it's plugging. Numbers. They're plugging exactly. something into a computer, and player A gives them this, and player B gives them this. It doesn't matter who the names are attached to those players. Well, uh, it, and it, while a lot it, of times that is that is good, and I agree with that, you have to also use your eyes some at at some point. Yeah, I, I agree with that. You know, I think what we've seen in the past and the reason why he's been blocked, a lot of it had to do with the fact that I think both of those guys, Cashman and Girardi, would prefer a, a vet with a solid glove over a young guy who can hit that's erratic in the field. For whatever, that's 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 more to the side that they lean towards. Yeah, I mean, and they had some weird obsession with Brendan Ryan. Two years of trying to fit Brendan Ryan into the Yankees. Yeah, I think that's more Girardi saying, I need a glove late in games. That's what I think. There's plenty of gloves out there late in games. <laughs> and and also... You're, you're preaching to the, the choir. The glove only comes in handy late in games when you have a lead, and they haven't had many leads lately. They went to Toronto, and they needed to win that series, and they ended up getting their ass kicked, and they got swept. And this really set me down a weird path last week where where I started to get really down on this team. And it was really the first two games of the series that pissed me off because game one, Monday night, Nova pitched definitely well enough to win. I'm not going to say he pitched great, but he pitched well enough to win, and the Yankees got shut out until the ninth inning. It was deja vu all over again from the previous week at the stadium against the Blue Jays where the starting pitching keeps you in a very good position to win the game. Six innings, I think uh, Nova pitched six innings and either two or three runs, and the offense had like two hits, just totally devastating. And to a starting pitcher, that has to get at you, right? You can't just, at a certain point, you can say, yeah, I want to go out there and put up zeros, and my job is to put up zeros and let the offense do what they do. But at a certain point, you got to say, the offense is going up there and going down one, two, three in the blink of an eye. What am I doing out here? It's it's extremely discouraging. Well, I can only imagine too for a starting pitcher the mindset. I mean, you know that this consistently happens that these guys don't put up numbers. So you absolutely have to be perfect. And and a lot of pitchers will make mistakes because they're trying to be too perfect. They'll be, they'll you know they'll 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 try to focus it on a location too much and leave a ball out over the plate and and not focus on their mechanics as much. There's just a lot of things I think that that could go through your mind of trying to be too perfect, knowing that if that run scores, you're screwed. And then that run. You know whether it be a, it could be a single that would you know turn into if it, turn it into a uh, an RBI would, would be a home run because you're leaving the ball up in the plate. There's just so many things that can go through a pitcher's mindset. I think when you're when they're they're trying to be too perfect and it's not a good thing. It doesn't make them relax for sure. So it's it's definitely not a good thing. It can only have an adverse effect on on a pitcher's mindset. Then Tuesday, CC went out there and for the second consecutive time against Toronto, a very tough lineup shut them down. Six innings. 
He pitched six plus innings. He had given up one run. It was a one-one ball game in the seventh inning, and Joe brings him back out for the seventh, which I understood because he he had a he was only at eighty pitches, and he gives up a leadoff double. So immediately Joe brings him out. I disagreed with this in the sense that Joe either needs to a give Batances a clean inning or let CC work through that jam because we've seen a few times now this season where Batances comes in with runners on base and he's not this not quite the same guy. No, I mean that you go back to last year even you we've seen we saw that a lot too when he has a clean inning he's a lot more effective than when he comes in with with runners on base and you're right I I, I agree with you too I think I think when you're when you lose the first game of the series like that and you you have a one one game you're gonna you need to pull everything out and, and try to win that game and I think at that point you bring Patantis out for a clean seventh. Um, so yeah, I think you know but even what Joe is probably thinking is my starter has been pitching great. And we're not winning the game, so I can't fire through BMC in a tie ball game. When you're playing Toronto on the on the road, and you've lost the first series or the first game of the series, I think you you need to you need to put your team in a position to win the game. And I think at that point, the best time, the best thing to do, if I'm the manager, best thing to do at that point is to bring in my stud pitchers. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to argue with you either way. I, I would have agreed with both with both situations. I just disagreed with the. The bringing CC out for one batter and then immediately taking him out. I know it was a leadoff double, but he had been escaping. He's proven the ability to escape jams this year. So, you know, and, and, and we're, we're going to get into more of that too when we talk about Sunday because he did the exact same thing. He brought him back out to face. Uh, I think it was Chris Davis as a lefty. He brought him out because of the lefty on lefty, and uh, and and it didn't work out. And he took him out. So there's this is this is happening again. <laughs> Well, in that game on Tuesday in Toronto, Batances ended up giving up a couple singles. And I think we saw one of the reasons why some people complain about Ref Snyder. He, he's fine catching the ball in the outfield. He does not have an outfielder's arm, though. But you can't blame that inning on Ref Snyder. I saw people on Twitter trying to blame that inning on Ref Snyder. Batances can't give up two consecutive singles. Yeah, he, he definitely doesn't have a terrific arm out there. And he bounced the ball. It was it was not a good throw. Um I don't know. I don't know what to say about that. Batanza's got to be better. Well, another thing where you can question Girardi is the fact that he ended up pinch hitting Brett Gardner for Rob Refsnyder after they're down, which, again, makes no sense considering how lame Gardner had been offensively. But if you're going to end up using Gardner, why not use him for defensive purposes in the seventh inning instead of offensive purposes in the eighth inning? You know, at that point, I think if uh, because it's a one-one game, they're they're he's trying to keep Ref Snyder's bat in the lineup at that point. I, but if he's that concerned with Ref Snyder's outfield ability, I don't know that he is. I don't know that he's as concerned in his outfield ability. In all honesty, I think it, first of all, I think it was a bad throw in the first place. Like I think he's got a better arm than what we saw in that throw. I think it was a bad throw. I think he rushed the throw and it was just he bounced it. It was just not a good throw in the first place. So I'm not I'm not totally chalking up his. His uh, a terrible arm. I mean, Brett Gardner does not have a good arm. Uh, Ellsbury doesn't have a good arm. Like I think Ref Snyder has every bit, a bit of arm as those guys. I think it was a bad throw. I think he just I think it got down on him and it was a bad bad throw. So I don't know what he was thinking there. Obviously defensive purposes at that point uh, later in the game, but we're down. I keep his bad in there. I agree. Girardi uh, should have kept him in for offensive reasons. Uh, you know he goes lefty righty. Girardi does it all the time. I'm still keeping Ref Snyder in. Yeah, Gardner's looked lost at the plate. I know he had a good, I think I believe he had a good series in Baltimore, but at the point in Toronto, he was really struggling. He had struggled the whole month of May. 
But CC's last two games versus Toronto, he's pitched 13 innings and only given up two earned runs, and he, he got saddled with two losses. That's terrible. Yeah, that's real bad. I mean, obviously we know what's going on there. The, the, there's there's zero people scoring runs. So big man's coming out there and, and pitching well and keeping the Yankees in the game. So I applaud him for that. And they ended up getting swept. Uh, Tanaka could not be the stopper that they needed him to be on Wednesday. They ended up getting shut out, so it didn't matter. They lost 7 nothing, And that put their record at 2-6 and six since getting to 500, which is just sums up this team for this year. It's any step they take forward, they take two steps back. And when, when you finally reach 500, which was a milestone for this team, who had been seven games under 500, they get back to 500 with a six-game win streak, Everyone's starting to feel good about this season, and they immediately take a giant step back with a two and six record. Yeah, it's like a Pineda outing, right? It's like you know, <laughs> he the the Yankees score five runs, and then he goes in and gives up six runs. It's 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 frustrating to see they there needs to be some kind of a sustained success in order for the season to turn around, and they haven't shown that they can do it. Well, to uh, to me that that showed that the success that they had in May was kind of a mirage. It was fake, right? Because they, a team after getting back to 500 should feel like they're they're sort of starting anew, and we have a fresh start. We're right in this race. Let's let's start playing some baseball, and they couldn't do that. And what's happening, which is which is completely baffling, is that this this team is is hitting their their hot and cold streaks at the exact same time. Like everybody on the team, it seems like when they're struggling is struggling, and they're all they're all in like a team wide slump. And when you have an entire lineup that's completely anemic like that, you're not going to win games, and you're going to you're going to go through losing streaks. It's just it's crazy to me how this this team it's like they're all in the same cycle. It's like we're going to we're all going to we're all going to do well. Their cycles and, have synced up. Yeah, it's crazy. They're all menstruating at the same time. Exact same time. So they so everything when when things are going well, everybody's doing well. When things are bad, everything's bad. So it's it's a it's a crazy it's a crazy dynamic to me and I I have never seen it happen with a baseball team as far as like their offensive abilities and everybody kind of on the same page at the same time. So uh, Hitting is contagious, and I guess slumping is also contagious. It's more contagious. Yeah. Uh, Thursday, they went to Detroit. Pineda was pitching. You and I talked last week about this being a huge game for Pineda because if he goes out and gets crushed again, they're going to have to probably send him down to the minors. Do something, yeah. And, hey, maybe a little pressure actually finally you know, made him pitch well because he did pitch well against Detroit. So I guess Pineda is in the, the starting rotation for the foreseeable future, thanks to that one good outing in Detroit. Well, and the funny thing is, before that outing, when Girardi was talking about the rotation and talking specifically about Pineda, I mean, he was he was basically saying that he had no plans of taking yeah. him out of the the, the starting uh, rotation. At Thank that you point. for bringing that up. Yeah, yeah, because I mean, to me, you're looking at that quote and you're looking at like, you know, I don't know why I would make a change. It was it was something that was just completely baffling to hear. He used the word silly. It would be silly for silly me to make a silly to make a change at this point. That's silly right. to make a change on a guy with a 7 ERA, which is the worst in the American League. Yeah, why Why would I think about taking him out of the rotation? Yeah, a guy Just who like, had a plus, why would I think about, plus 11 ERA in the first two innings. Why would I think about benching Chase Headley, who has zero extra base hits through 90 at-bats in the season? That's silly. That's a silly question to ask. <laughs> so that's, that's uh, another thing to... <laughs> To, to even go down, I mean, the fact that, that it's not a consideration to, to bench a guy who's got a seven, the worst ERA uh, among all qualified pitchers and, uh, you know, some 
sporting a 11 plus ERA in the first two innings of a starting pitcher. I mean, that's 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 uh, the fact that your manager is not thinking about benching you at that point or, or making a move is uh, is puzzling. So anyway, it didn't matter because he came out, pitched very well to Pineda's credit. He was he was good against a, yeah, a very difficult lineup. Obviously, Detroit has an extremely good lineup. He pitched well. Um, and the guys who who normally are the the reliable ones are, are the ones that you know kind of made our uh, our blood pressure go up a little bit at the end of the game. This was a heart attack win. BMC Batances gave up a run in his inning. Miller gave up a run in his inning, and then Chapman loads the bases with no outs. At this point, I believe it was what a five to three ball game, and there yeah. was a shot up the middle to Didi who had come in. Uh, Ref Snyder had started at second base, so they moved Castro back over to uh, over to second, DD to short, and there was a pretty good shot up the middle. DD gloves it, flips to Castro with the glove, kind of off balance throw or off balance catching the ball with his bare hand. Bare hand, yeah. Blows a bubble, throws a strike to Teixeira, which really turned the turned the inning around. It was a double play. They did get a run, but didn't it, it really won the game for the Yankees? Uh, unbelievably athletic play by the by the two guys up the middle. Which, say what you want about this team, if you think they can make the playoffs or not make the playoffs, at least we have Didi and Castro to look forward to for the next few years. Yeah, it was impressive. I mean, on both ends, seeing Didi just getting to that ball with the uh, with the flip, and then Castro that that was an athletic move to catch that ball. You like you said, he was falling back like, off balance. He had to reach back to get the ball, and then I don't even know how he makes that throw. I mean, like I don't know how the momentum of his body it almost slingshotted him when he when he like reached back. It was impressive, and he and he did throw a strike. So it was uh, it was an impressive double play and a huge time too. Huge time. Kind of foreshadowed what was to come in Baltimore, though, with the bullpen struggling like that. Like you said, everyone's going into, uh, everyone's cycles are syncing up. It seems like Batances is starting to struggle a little bit. And Miller's like, oh, I guess I'll struggle. And Chapman's yeah. like, yeah, I might as well give up a few hits while we're at it. <laughs> might as well do it all at the same time. <laughs> Let's just compound this issue, make it really bad for everybody to watch. Yeah, they and they were struggling. Batances, I mean, started struggling early in the week. And, and we're seeing these guys that were, you know, completely clean. Uh, start giving up runs and start and Chapman starting to look like a mortal. So, to you know, complete honesty, Friday, Saturday, Sunday against Baltimore, I have no clue what happened. I was in a fog, so I, I know they lost two out of three, which is the important thing. But it seems like Evaldi, for the first time in about five starts, five six starts, did not pitch well on Friday night. He Evaldi did not have his good stuff. It was it was very obvious that he didn't have his good stuff, and and he was he was struggling through through the game. But um, so I mean, look, he it's been a month uh, a month plus since this dude has has really had a bad start. Uh, eventually, it's going to happen. It happens to the best, unless your name is Jake Arrieta, and it doesn't happen for like a year, and then you have one bout outing. But Evaldi is a guy that that was he was he kept the Yankees in the game. The Yankees still, at this point, are not hitting the ball well. I don't care that they scored some runs in this inning. I was so mad. I made a note in this game. It was the top of the fourth inning. And this was, this was we were going against a Baltimore lineup that, or I'm sorry, a Baltimore pitcher, Chris Tillman, who was, was very good uh, for the first, I want to say, three innings. And then I think in the fourth inning, he started walking guys. And he, his, his, his control was erratic, like out, out of the blue. Very good first three innings. Fourth inning, erratic. Guy, he, so there's. I'm gonna go through a situation because this this situation. I said last week that didn't. I don't get mad during the game. I got mad during this game, and it, nothing even happened. It was uh, two runners on. I want to say they were walks. Till, uh, Tillman was was very uh, erratic. Headley's up. 
with, with Tillman struggling, falls behind 2-0, okay? So the, it's a 2-0 count to Headley. Pitching coach comes out to talk to Tillman. Tillman cannot throw strikes at this point. A mound visit comes out. What in your mind, let's just put yourself in the Chase Headley situation, okay? You're, you're a struggling batter. You got two runners on. Your team is struggling. You have a 2-0 count with a guy who's been struggling to throw to throw strikes. Pitching coach comes out. What do you, what do you think he's going to throw? Just, I don't know. I would guess Ballpark. he's going to throw a, a batting practice meatball down the middle of the plate. He's going to throw a strike, right? He's going to try. He's going to do everything he possibly can, this major league pitcher, after walking two guys. Pitching coach comes out. Probably going to give you a fastball. Probably somewhere over the plate because he's not going to. He's not going to give the best location, so it's going to be fat, most likely. That's that's just that's what I'm looking for at least on a two-zero count. No, this is not what happens. Chase Headley just sits there with a the the bat on his shoulder, does absolutely nothing, and he gets a 90 mile an hour fastball teed up 90 miles an hour. I don't I don't know what better speed you can get down the down the center of the plate. Looks at it, ball goes down, and then Chase Headley promptly strike, strikes out uh, in the at-bat, leaving those two guys there. Well, can I play devil's advocate? Hold on. <laughs> this, to me, is the most frustrating type of situation because there is an opportunity right now to strike. There's an opportunity with a team that's struggling to score runs over the whole season. When you have a hitter's count, you know damn well that this guy is either going to throw a meatball down the middle or it's going to be just a... Something that's that's probably well off the plate. So why not look fastball down the middle? If you get it, you swing at it. You'd be ready to pounce on this ball because that's what a real uh, a good hitter would have done. And a good hitter right then would have. Chase Headley's not a good hitter. If he had swung uh, at that ball. If you're in the major leagues at that point, if you're in the major leagues, you know damn well that you can hit a 2-0 fastball coming down the middle with a guy struggling. If you look for it at least. If he had swung at that ball, it would have been a ground ball double play to second base. I don't want Chase Headley swinging in that situation. Oh, that's ridiculous. I, Chase Headley's best chance to get on base is to not swing the bat. He's either going to get walked or you, get hit you, by you a pitch. Can't, you can't have that situation. You, As a batter, you cannot have that mindset. You just can't. It wouldn't you surprise me if the take sign was on. I, I doubt it. I seriously doubt it. I think that was all Chase Headley just being completely not confident in his abilities. Well, he has no ability. He does if have ability. If, it's, if, if it's, you are a major league baseball player, you can hit a 90 mile an hour fastball down the middle. I don't care who you are. If it's most other hitters, Yankee hitters in that situation, I want them swinging. I don't want. I'm I'm being serious. I don't want Chase Headley swinging in that situation. But that's ridiculous. You're 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 completely discarding the fact that these these guys are have the the talent to get to the major league. You're you're discarding the fact that these guys. But I've not, watched enough baseball this year to realize that Chase Headley sucks. Even Chase Headley can hit a 90 mile an hour fastball when he knows it's coming. Anybody can do that. <laughs> Double A guys could do that. <clears throat> well, I mean, your but your point is that the team just is totally out of sync, and when they should be swinging the bat, they're not, and and you know they're grounded into double plays, and it's just the offense is totally, totally anemic, and basic, everything is going wrong with them. Basic baseball is failing on this team. The the basic the basic fundamentals, of everything you learn of 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 how to you know when when you're supposed to hit. You know, when you're supposed to steal the bags, when you're supposed to take advantage of, of certain things, just game situations. It's the basics of, of the game of baseball that this team is is making this even worse because they're struggling at that as well. And that's where I get frustrated. I get frustrated when the basics start happening. It's not if a guy grounds into a double play on a pitcher's count. You know, that to me happens. That stuff happens. But when you start making mental mistakes like this and not taking advantage of opportunities that, that are, are given to you, that's when I'm starting to get frustrated. <laughs> That's when Joe Girardi needs to go freaking apeshit on this team. Do you think he goes apeshit? I I don't know. I don't I don't think so. I don't. 
you see this guy get livid against with umpires, right? You, you see when when Girardi has a good umpires rant, it's it's pretty good. Like the veins start popping out. Like it looks like he's going to have a volcanic explosion because things start getting really swelled up. I want him to do that on his team. Like, can can we show some emotion to the team? Can we get frustrated in the dugout and and you know maybe have a shouting match? Well, we know I, maybe for let sure. emotions take over you at some point. We know he doesn't do it publicly he will back his players even when they have seven eras and say that it's silly why would i take him out that's a silly question but who knows maybe he does get mad in the in the in the clubhouse when the doors are closed i, I don't think so but, I don't think so. but maybe he does uh saturday what happened so they were up eight nothing it seems and the bullpen imploded in the seventh inning they were up seven nothing they were up seven nothing nova was pitching very well the the bullpen uh, imploded. Nova came out. No, Nova was very much done, and it was obvious that he was done. We, I was on Twitter talking about this game, and and like where everybody's sitting there, like, yep, he's done. He's he, the first two guys get on, and or there, I think he faced five guys. Two guys got on. It was just it was very obvious. He let up a couple runs. It was very obvious that he was done, and Girardi just kept him in the game for for some ongoing. Ongo- well, it's a se- it's seven like, seven run lead, but you're right. Bring in some scrub. One of the bring in somebody. He was scrubs. done. It was very obvious that he was done. And and to to you know as many times as we've been arguing about Joe Girardi taking guys out too early, he obviously was leaving Nova in too 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 late. It was it was very clear to everybody watching that game that Nova was done for this game. And and he just let him in and uh, and yeah they came back in the game I mean the 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 Yankees scored a um, uh, an insurance run to to put him up eight six but but yeah it was it was a game that Miller had to come in Batantis had to come in it was or not Batantis uh, Chapman it was a game that that should have been a a mop up game and and it wasn't and it's games like that where the where the starter maybe thanks to some poor management and then the the less you know the the four five six guys in the bullpen who can't close out a double or you know a big lead a six seven run lead it's reasons like that why you see the bullpen struggling in stretches because the Yankees only win ball games when BMC pitches so on Sunday when Batanzas comes in who had been struggling he 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 gives up runs and in you know, the seventh inning, he escaped a jam. And then the eighth inning, he gives up, I believe it was first and second, and then the rain delay happened. So you knew he wasn't coming back out after that. You knew it was going to be Chapman. He was getting pulled at that point anyway. He, there was a pitching change happening. Okay. So I was Chapman following was, on Chapman my, was coming in. Yeah, I was Chapman following was on my in. phone. So, so you know, I'm kind of going off game, you know, game cast, what, what happened here. But... You know the you know you knew you know it was going to be Chapman who was going to need to get a five out save, and he just couldn't get it done. Yeah, it was the writing was starting to be on the wall at that point when the when the Orioles got their the two runs on and the the rain delay came at a strange time because yeah Chapman was about to come in the game, uh, they it just didn't happen because the rain started happening right at that point and then he came in uh, once the delay I don't know I don't know how long that delay was it was probably an hour I mean it was it was it was a significant delay. Um, so it's going to throw a guy off, right? The guy's warmed up, then he's got to go back, warm up again. Definitely throws him off of his normal routine, uh, but struggled. I mean, they were, and Weeders had a huge hit and and hit a, I th- it was a hundred and some mile an hour fastball that he just smacked up the middle um, that Ellsbury threw home, took a weird hop, hopped over McCann. I thought McCann should have caught the ball. There was an error on Ellsbury, kind of a, a strange error, but, um, and let up three runs and it was game over at that point. So, do you and, think, 
Go real ahead. quick, real quick. I, I I forgot to mention on Saturday, Nova Nova, they t- when he took Nova in, out, Goody did come in and got lit up. I mean, so so it it, it, it compounded the issue. I mean, right? He, I mean, he the, came in, but Goody but Goody did not do anything well either, and that's when you had to see Miller and Chapman come the in. The Nick Goodies of the world need to step up in that situation and no make doubt. it so you don't have to use Miller. No doubt. But do you think with Betances it's overuse or is this just a bad stretch or or what's going on here with him? I don't know because we we've seen bad we see bad stretches from him. I mean it's yeah we we see him struggle. He's not when he's on fire when he's when he's on. Um, he's probably one of the toughest, if not the toughest, right-handed uh, reliever in the game. And when he's when he's struggling, and I don't know if he's. I mean, there were rumors early on when and when, uh, when he struggled in Boston that he was tipping pitches, and I don't know if he's still doing that. If that's if that's come back, or if he's just, you know, it's if it's if it's him in the stretch that he's struggling, and and as as the season well, he's always goes on. Well, that's true, but when runners on base is what I meant. Mm-hmm. When runners are on base, that that just becomes more of an issue. I, I don't know. I don't know if it's a mechanics thing, but um, it's 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 interesting. It's weird to see that he struggles uh, in these in these long stretches it seems like a week at a time he struggles i would guess that he's probably not locating his fastball because that's what tends to happen when Batanza struggles i think his best pitch is his knuckle curve that's his out pitch and i think he can throw it for strikes anytime he wants but his fastball does become erratic at some points he needs to at least locate it near the bottom of the strike zone uh, you know, outside corner to righties if he's going to be successful. And sometimes he gets very wild with it. So it's only knuckle curve or fastball down the middle. And it's it's tough to pitch like that. Well, and I saw the the, the last, when he was pitching, they threw up the stat about uh, the the amount of times that he uses those pitches. And it was it was to a, a 65% uh, swing that he's using the curve. Uh, right, like, so he so kind of pitches backwards. That's, that's, that's his... That's his his go to safe pitch, I think. Yeah, he does pitch backwards. So these guys got to look out for that. You know, plus ninety, ninety eight plus uh, mile an hour fastball. But if and they, they know t- it's going to be nowhere near the plate, then they don't have to worry about it. You're right. Um, and, and he will spin uh, that that occasional uh, that that occasional breaking ball in the center of the plate. So and we've seen that a couple times go out of the park. I think David Ortiz hit a curve out of the the park a very long ways. <laughs> yeah, a few times. Yeah. So. Yankees lost the series in Baltimore. They they finally head home. They're in this gauntlet of a schedule where they have no off days until June 12th or June 13th. They have four versus Anaheim and then three versus Detroit. I mean, it, it's got to – we're at a point where if it, it needs to turn around ASAP or else we don't have a baseball season. There's no doubt. Um, and the uh, we were talking about CC earlier, and the, when you're getting good starts – out of your number five, I mean, he's not even the number five guy anymore, but when you're getting good starts out of CC Sabathia, those are the games that you need to at least, you need to win a good amount of them. And you need to, you need to, when you're getting good starts, that's, that's gravy, right? And you, you need to, you're, you're probably going against another number four, number five guy. You got to win those games. And when your number five starter is pitching well and, and CC on Sunday, you know, we, we were talking about CC about how, uh, how Girardi pulled him out of the game early on Monday, was it? Uh, and then and then and then Sunday he he did a similar thing. C- this was a different situation when when CC Sabathia CC Sabathia kept us in this game. It was it was one one. He had five walks, five walks up until that point. Joe brings him back out, and Joe brings it back out to face. I think it was Chris uh, uh, Chris Davis. Uh, it was a lefty matchup. Walks him. 
sixth walk of the game. Like to me, we're, we we should have lost that game anyway because CC just somehow got out of a lot of these jams. I mean, he was getting key double plays at times. But when you walk five guys, I mean, you shouldn't win the ball game yeah. if your starting pitcher wins that many or uh, walks that many guys. But again, he he brought him out knowing that he didn't have his best control. Brought him back out. Walked another guy, and I think he was over 100 pitches at that point, too, which, which makes no sense. I mean, where's the binder on CeCe if you're pulling him at, at 80 pitches after a leadoff walk when you're bringing him back out for a clean inning to face a lefty at 100 pitches? I don't understand. There's no rhyme or reason for that. Maybe there's zero confidence for a lefty coming out to, to face Chris Davis at that point, but I don't know. He's, he's been through the rotation. Give him another look. So I don't know. It's, it's, it's a very frustrating. Girardi, Girardi was a very frustrating manager this week, um, and, and the players did not back him up. But yeah, you got to win those games. You got to win those games. And when you're going against Anaheim uh, with Mike Trout coming in and then three against Detroit, these are, these are going to be tough games. Detroit's fighting for their life in the Central. That's a, that's a tough, that's a tough uh, division right now. And, and Anaheim's trying to get back into something you know, to, to make themselves relevant again. So these, aren't gonna be tough. these are not going to be easy games. These are going to be very tough games. And we'll see. So let's get into some mailbags here. What do we got first? First is from Cody Graham. He's at Cody Graham 12 on Twitter. He says, hey, guys, first, I want to say I love the podcast. Thanks, Cody. Appreciate that. My question revolves around Brian McCann and Carlos Beltran. To jumpstart the season the uh, slash the rebuild, would it make sense to have McCann play first base and bring up Gary Sanchez? Similarly, wouldn't it make sense at this point to have Beltran as the primary DH and have Hicks play every day? This team is too old, breaking down, and I'd love to see them start the youth movement sooner than later. I don't know if you uh, saw, but I did write a a sort of plan for the Yankees on Friday, uh, and I think that they should start to think about rebuilding because you need to be realistic about this team and where they're going. And while we have seen the pitching steadily improve this season, the offense has has not seemed to improve. And I don't think this is a uh, a playoff caliber offense. So I'm not saying that the season is definitely over at this point because it is June. But Yankees ownership and Brian Cashman need to start thinking that if this team is still, you know, three, four, five games under 500 come July, they definitely need to sell because you can't hang on for dear life only to have them miss the playoffs by five, six games. They need to start thinking about the future because this team does have a future. So, you know, some guys that I, that I said they should consider trading, obviously Carlos Beltran, Brett Gardner. Um, are two guys that I think that they could trade because, you know, the Royals and the Indians are two teams that both need outfield help, and those guys could definitely help them. So, you know, the, Cody mentions McCann going over to first base. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's definitely a possibility with the fact, especially now that uh, Teixeira and Ackley are out. There's the, the one, the, I think if everything was going well right now, and uh, besides the the injuries at first base, I think we would see McCann over there uh, a lot more often. The unfortunate situation right now is that uh, Gary Sanchez is hurt, so yeah, is the thumb issue. It's really not a yeah, it's not it's not a viable option at this point because um, one, Romine you know hurt himself with that uh, the 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 pregame warm up with Chapman, so we're very very we're stretched very thin at catcher right now. So McCann's got to kind of be the iron guy behind the plate at this point right now in the season. He's just got to be that guy. But if, if Sanchez can come back and, and prove that he's healthy and hitting at AAA, you know, maybe even for like some, you know, a quote-unquote rehab stint at AAA, I would bring him up pretty soon after that because he's definitely needed on this team. Um, and I would definitely I, I would definitely move uh, McCann uh, not to the primary first base spot, but, but definitely have him, uh, you know, going over there, you know, a couple times a week. 
I also wrote that the Yankees should not consider trading Brian McCann because he can have that first base versatility that does come in handy when there are injuries or next season if Greg Bird is struggling a little bit and you know you need more of a veteran bat or veteran presence over there. McCann could could help out that way because I think this is Teixeira's last season with the Yankees, especially now with all these injuries. Well, if you look at McCann, also, I mean, McCann's a guy who can who can provide some power in the middle of that lineup, and some we're going to need that power next year. There's no doubt about it. We're going to need that thump, and if we could give him some some days off of catching and playing first base, I think that will only help his legs, help his his uh, you know his his pop going to uh, to the short porch. I think it'll it'll give him a little bit more energy to to provide some more power in the middle of that lineup because I think we're going to need it and. Uh, so I agree with you. I think he's actually a he, he could be a valuable piece next year because of his flexibility in the field, and and the fact that that Bird coming off of an injury, you know, just to throw him into the gauntlet and and give him a full season at first base. Well, I think he can handle it. I think it's a lot to ask from from a guy that young, and having the the flexibility of a McCann over there uh, to to kind of pivot between the two young guys, Gary Sanchez and uh, Greg Bird, first and catcher, I think is a is a very good option. Plus, I think he's a good leader in the clubhouse. Cody mentions, do they move Beltron to the DH role? I don't see what that provides the Yankees. I mean, A-Rod is going to be the DH, assuming he's on the field. And Beltron has some trade value. So I would rather them trade Beltron than move him to a DH role in the second half of the season. Yeah, and you mentioned the Kansas City Royals as a team that, that could potentially be looking at that. And I'm, I'm, I'm looking right at the Kansas City Royals because... You think about what they've done in the past and how they've they've kind of gotten over the hump in the second half of the past two years with trades, and they've they've done a very good job with kind of you know bringing in the the Ben Zobras to to kind of put their their offense over the hump or you know bringing in the Johnny Cuetos to to put their starting pitching over the hump. I, I think that Carlos Beltran is a is a very interesting situation for that a guy who can DH a guy who can play a little bit of outfield provide some power. I and mean, We've seen that his bat is still extremely lively. I mean, going back if you look at the past twelve months, Beltran Beltran has been, you know, an extremely good, uh, extremely good batter, uh, you know, yeah. driving in runs. One and, of their and more consistent hitters. Ex- extremely consistent and, and still has pop. And to say that, and to, to look back at his career, knowing that he started his career in Kansas City, I think it would be uh, a, a pretty good swan song and, and pretty good, uh, I think, th- that he could be a very big piece of that puzzle. And I think Kansas City would really rally behind uh, a Carlos, Carlos Beltran signing. So... I think that's a very interesting place to look at, especially with Kansas City playing good baseball again and uh, and and surging in the AL Central right now. And the Indians also lost two outfielders thanks to PED suspension, so they're a couple outfielders short, and they're still in the race, uh, definitely a wild card race. Uh, a couple reports also surfaced that the Nationals and the Giants are both eyeing the Yankee bullpen arms, assuming if the Yankees do sell them. That um, I know the Nationals are interested in both Chapman and Miller, and the Giants are specifically interested in Andrew Miller. And I think Andrew Miller has the most trade value on this team of anybody because he's proven that he can close. He's proven to be a team-oriented guy, and he also has two more years on his contract, so you're not just trading for a rental. Uh, a couple years ago, the Red Sox got Eduardo Rodriguez, who is a young left-handed starting pitcher, for the rental Andrew Miller from Baltimore, and that was in division. Imagine what the Yankees could get in return for Andrew Miller now. That you know they could get a top a top pitching a top prospect. prospect. And there's yeah. no doubt he wasn't a closer at that point either. He right. didn't show that he could be a a lockdown ninth inning guy either. I mean, we he's proven he's given he's proven uh, to be extremely valuable in that bullpen. They so could get a top twenty five prospect in baseball for Andrew Miller. I, I totally agree with that. And the so we're looking at that. Um, 
the fact that the Giants are in an even year are trying to make baseball history. They're they're playing very good baseball. A guy like that to put them over the top is interesting. So definitely check that out. And if you're if you're reading the if you're only like first of all we have our our feature columns every day of the uh, every weekday which have been doing very well. Been getting a lot of really good feedback. If you're reading Friday's columns, you know Andrew is mostly on or is 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 putting a column up every Friday. I I pitch it for him a couple weeks back, but you're getting a, kind of a consistent message almost. I mean even on that week when I was talking about that. Uh, I, I kind of spoke to your sentiments this, this past week about how there's an opportunity, even in a down year, there's an opportunity for this team to to do well for the future. And, you know, I, I truly believe that. I think that this is not a lost year, but if it comes down to it and we are at a point, I think the Yankees need to be opportunistic and need to take advantage of what is in front of them. And like you said, we have, we have assets. While this team is struggling, there are proven assets on this team that can help out, uh, there can help out a, uh, a team probably in the National League or at least out of the AL, uh, AL East that is in contention and is trying to win a World Series. So you're looking at two very interesting teams, the Royals trying to make the World Series three years in a row and the, the Giants trying to get back and win a World Series again in an even year. Two very interesting situations that would be baseball history on both accounts that these guys may overpay for one of those uh, one or two of those guys. On our I team. just don't want Cashman and Yankees management to have false hope. Don't be afraid of selling this team. It's not like the stadium is fifty thousand people every night. If they're if they're not in it in the second half, people aren't going to show up regardless. They're going to show up for the for the ceremonies and, and you know the Mariano Rivera Day and the day that we're there when they're honoring the '96 team. That's obvious, but. If, if this team's out of it, who wants to go watch Chase Headley and Carlos Beltran and Jacoby Ellsbury and Mark Teixeira struggle in the order? Wouldn't you rather watch some young guys? Yes. Trade whoever you can, get some prospects back, and let's, let's go at this thing in 2017 because this team is not five years away. They're, they're close. They have a lot of guys who hopefully are going to make an impact on this team soon. And, and that's, you said hopefully. We need to see that too, right? So, so we could use this opportunity this season – as an opportunity to kind of showcase some of these guys or give them some experience. I think it's a good opportunity for the Yankees to to turn their some of these guys into assets, into younger players, get younger while we're building towards the future. And I, I think it could be a big year. I, I just I know we've never seen this before, or at least in a long time. It hasn't happened in a very long time. So people are very apprehensive and just but but the 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 over when you when you start looking at Twitter and you start look, looking at comments on on the website and things like that it's 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 becoming glare, very obvious that Yankee fans are okay with selling these teams off and getting younger and and kind of you know getting the rest of the season to just get better. Least, I, I think people are going to be okay with that. At least the smart Yankee fans are. Yeah. Next one's from Owen Casey. He says, "Hi guys, I heard what you said about Michael Pineda." that he is in a Matt Harvey situation and doesn't have any confidence. The only thing is that Matt Harvey can win and is a proven elite pitcher. And when Harvey is on a roll, he's arguably the best pitcher in baseball. Pineda is the exact opposite. So the reason I mentioned this mailback is, is because I just want to clarify what I think you and I were saying about Michael Pineda and Matt Harvey. I don't even remember talking about this. This was last week. and yeah. I must where, have blacked out when we talked about this because I don't even remember it. What I was saying is that the Yankees and Mets were in a similar situation with these guys and that they had both struggled the entire season and their next starts were very important for these guys. Right. Matt Harvey went out and pitched very well. I believe it was against the White Sox. And there was real talk that the Mets were going to either have to DL him or send him down to the minors or, or do something with Matt Harvey because he can't keep going out there getting crushed. The Yankees had the same situation with Michael Pineda. I still think they would be you know well served sending him down. I don't think it's going to happen, but um, the the conversation at least at least needed to be had between management 
coaching and Michael Pineda because there needs to be expectations set with these guys that you can't just go out there and suck. You need to perform or else you're, you don't have a guaranteed spot on this team. Michael Pineda has not done enough for the Yankees to have a guaranteed spot ever in this rotation. And yeah, and so so the comparison between Harvey and Pineda wasn't a, a comparison between Harvey the pitcher, Pineda the pitcher. It was about the situation and yeah. their next start. Yeah. So to to make that very clear, I, I agree. I think uh, to to Owen's point, Matt Harvey is a completely different mental makeup than than Michael Pineda. Like those guys are not even remotely on the same same level of uh, of emotions. And to me, Mar- Matt Harvey. Just I don't know. He's he looks like a different mindset when he's out there than Pineda, who's throwing up his hands. Um, I wish Pineda had the competitiveness that Harvey has because honestly, I, I like that part of him. He's kind of a dick. He looks like a dick. He is always talking about Qualcomm when he's on the Dan Patrick show, which I thought was hysterical. The but he's definitely got a, he's definitely got like you, you, he feels like a like a, a top line starter. At least his mental makeup does. Um, so. Yeah, I wish Pineda would become more of a more of a, a lockdown killer because I think he's got the stuff to do it. I think he's got every every bit of the stuff. I'm just here so I don't get fined. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so that that's it for the mailbags this week. I believe though we do have a couple one or two voicemail rants that that we want to close out the show with. But uh, before we get to that, just wanted to mention that I will not be on next week's show. I am traveling out of the country, so you do have a guest lined up. So definitely look forward to that. And uh, Scott, any last words before we get out of here? Yeah, just on this on this rant. So last week I had put on Twitter that best best uh, voicemail rant uh, gets a T-shirt. So this check out this voicemail rant. It was it was uh, it was pretty good. We got a whole bunch of them that came in. Uh, I chose this one. So if you're if you have sensitive ears tune out now but otherwise you will you'll hear the frustration in the voice um so i appreciate it and i will definitely be getting a t-shirt out next week uh andrew is going to be overseas sorry to see him go obviously um we're going to have neil keith uh who has a also a podcast called uh, keith to the city who's going to be coming in and uh and subbing in for the week so looking forward to that as well have a great trip andrew uh, be safe and come back to us and uh, and i'll try and leave a voicemail this time maybe i can get a wi-fi signal over there in italy and i can leave you guys a voicemail because this is the only way i'm going to know what's going on with yankees baseball is listening to this podcast beautiful all right we'll talk to you guys next time yeah you want to rant here's a rant do you hear that? That's the rest of the league laughing at what a joke this team has become. If you listen close enough, it's also the sound of Mr. George Steinberg rolling over on his grave. The problem I have is there's no accountability. It's you. No more excuse. A statement needs to be made. But because you want to give a 27-year contract to fucking have been, and you're afraid to hurt the team, you can't. Enough, enough. You got guys that keep getting knocked out, you're pushing the balls off. They also keep running the same team out there like the other teams. That's the definition of the And this is not the Yankees way. It's still someone has the balls to make a change, nothing will. By the way, nice fucking catch tonight, I was very. Nice batting average, Brett. I should have been a gardener. The show that hasn't had a home run since Bush was in office. Call up Judge. Call up Switzer. Call up anyone who's hungry enough to give a shit. Matt Felt, S-T-M, Felt, 5, and Hey guys, thanks for listening to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Make sure you find us on iTunes and subscribe so you can get all new episodes directly onto your phone. If you do like the show, 
we'd love for you to take a minute and give us a five-star rating and review in iTunes. It really helps us out and allows us to create more shows. We're on Twitter at Bronx Pinstripes and the same on Facebook. You can always find us there talking Yankee baseball. Thanks again, guys, for your support. Really appreciate it. And go Yankees. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.